welcome to the Russell Fugit Show, episode zero, and this is not where I intended to start, and it's taken me a while to just do a start, have a start, but I'm happy to be here this morning. It is Monday, October the 8th, and so much has happened in our country in the last few weeks, and in I'm going to come to you in this space with a unique perspective, and this is episode zero. In episode one, I'll give you more of a preview as to what you can expect in this space, and it'll be long form, 30 to 60 minutes. Sometimes it'll just be me, but I think more often than not, as we go forward, there'll be guests that will be able to share some unique insights and perspective on a variety of topics. But the ones I intend to focus on will be leadership, legacy, and love. And of course, there'll always be a variable. So I always kind of, I thought of it as like a 3XL, right? Extra large. <laughs> My friends in high school used to call me Big Russ. Even before that, I was known as Big Russ. So you can call me that Big Russ as well. You can contact me on my website, russellfugit.com. That's R-U-S-S-E-L-L-F-U-G-E-T-T.com. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. I am not hard to find. My last name is Unique. And so is my middle name. My first name is actually Joseph, but I go by Russell. I look forward to hearing some feedback on this edition of my podcast. And we're starting with episode zero, which in project management, we often use the 10 uh, numerals. And in uh, the training I received, we often would start with zero as opposed to starting with one. Um, Zero only meaning a a label um, in order using the 10 digits in order to actually be the first digit, right, is zero, and then one, two, three, et cetera, right? So a very uh, unique approach. But I intended to start with episode one, and then all of this stuff with uh, my uh, Georgetown Prep um, uh, fellow alum um, today, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, hit the news and... um, Of course, I was aware that Mr. Gorsuch, uh, Justice Gorsuch, was an alum, and of course, Mr. Kavanaugh was an alum, and and I had followed along very loosely in the news as to his confirmation, and of course, I know many of us are uh, may be aware of the the politics, and of course, everybody's panicking and freaking out about our environment right now. Um, and, and how partisan it is and the rhetoric and how uh, divided we are as a, a nation. And some of this, I think, is a little bit of an overreaction. And, and I might touch on that a little bit today. And I, I probably won't get too deep into the weeds. And I really do not want this to be a, a political discussion today. Um, but let me first back up and sh- uh, share why I felt it was necessary to to at least have a, a discussion on why I thought I might have a unique angle that might be interesting. And I know at this point, people are probably exhausted um, in hearing about this subject matter. But first, I am an alum of Georgetown Prep. Uh, at graduation, I received the Jesuit medal. And to be very frank, I had a very challenging time at Prep. I probably almost uh, flunked out once or twice at <laughs> Latin and Algebra kick my butt to be quite honest I was able to do well I could read and write I was able to do uh, well enough 
Um, did very well my last year and a half there. The Kairos retreat. Kairos is Greek for time with God. Really um, changed my life. And there's really no other way to put it. At 16 years old and, um, you know, my perspective, um, you know, for a few years was 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 very skewed on life and my place um, in the world and that prep and my relationship with my family and my parents and and um, certainly experienced some trauma. Um, my parents divorced and, you know, family situations were difficult. And then my uncle passed and my father moved away right as I was transitioning into ninth grade um, from an environment in grade school where I was very comfortable, very diverse, multicultural. I was Big Russ. You know, I was the basketball player. I was uh, the default class president by being the president or uh, chief of the crossing guards. Right. It was kind of like the default class president. That was me. Started my, my student political run in eighth grade. <laughs> And, um, you know, I, I lived three blocks from my school and that was my home. That was my life um, and going to Baltimore with my family every other weekend. And then, you know, it got difficult uh, being in an environment at prep where I remember asking one of my classmates freshman year, had you ever been in a classroom with black kids? And I recall them saying there were some twin boys in fourth grade at modern day and about a third of my class of 100 or so thereabouts had attended a school called modern day, which from what I understand is an excellent Catholic K through eight school and I believe it's all boys I might be wrong about that and um, I was just kind of in shock but you know on the other side of the token I really had only been in, in class with with uh, white kids a little bit in kindergarten and there was one uh, white girl and not to sound right white girl black girl a white girl in my class when I graduated eighth grade and um, you know but besides that my eighth grade class was like multinational Korean Peruvian Jamaican Trinidadian um, Man, what else? Uh, I said I said Korean, uh, Indian, um, man, uh, Chilean, um, Nicaraguan. They were just um, it was a rainbow coalition, um, <laughs> and I'm still friends with some of those folks to this very day, and it was a beautiful thing. So from from prep, I went on to a, a private college in Connecticut, and in my freshman year at this particular college, there were uh, some kids walking around with T-shirts that read. Trinity College, the Yale of Connecticut. I was, of course, at Trinity, so I was not as smart as Justice Kavanaugh to uh, attend Yale. But I did go to Trinity College in Connecticut and, and having visited Yale a couple times as an undergraduate, the campuses and I got even a sense that the campus life perhaps was not too dissimilar. Um, New, Yale is in New Haven and uh, Trinity is in Hartford, also uh, you know, the state capital, about 80 or 90 minutes or so up the road, depending on the traffic, which can be brutal. And um, at Trinity, I majored in political science. Uh, so, of course, I do have an idea and an understanding of our I concentrated in American government. So I do have a, a lens into our political system and, and the three branches of our government and how they are supposed to interact. And um, I've been an intern and volunteer at a number of political organizations, campaigns, lobbying groups, etc. And um, most recently... I came to understand or realize that I'm having don't have my yearbooks in my home. They're still at my mother's house in a box somewhere, I think, or on a bookshelf. Like I'm sure many people may still have boxes of books and things from high school at their parents' house. And I uh, realized that Squee was uh, most likely or, or perhaps was my freshman basketball coach at Georgetown Prep. Yes. Squee, I know some of you saw the Saturday Night Live skit. I know some of you listened to Kavanaugh's testimony, heard about Squee. Um, coach Garrett, as he was known to me, it was, it was a good coach, good man, 
from what I remember, nothing really stands out to me to be very frank, uh, negative. Um, yeah, I think our freshman basketball team was pretty talented. I, I kind of was like the sixth man. I played a good amount. Um, thought I should have played more, but who doesn't at, at 14 years old? And um, unfortunately, um, injured my knee late in the season and really injured it badly that following summer. Had surgery, and that was kind of the beginning of the end of my athletic career. But that's a whole other uh, conversation. But it was just fascinating to me, so many different uh, touch points. And, of course, um, like so many of us, hearing Dr. Ford's testimony really struck me. And I'll, I'll um, you know, kind of come back to that momentarily, but it really hit me hard um, because of my life experiences and because of some of the things I've been um, exposed to, um, which, which I'm going to get into in a second. It was funny, I was opening my... Uh, my, my Bible app today, and there was an interesting verse, uh, Philippians 2, uh, verses 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. And so I thought about that, and, and in the midst of all this, my, my gut instinct was, what if uh, Mr. Kavanaugh, now Justice Kavanaugh, has said, look, this is really tearing our country apart. Of course, it's killing my family. It's been hard on Dr. Ford. What if I step aside and allow uh, our president to select another justice? Now, of course, it's easy for me to sit here and say that um, he's apparently worked his whole life to get into this position. And um, I can only imagine um, <laughs> had he done that, uh, I can imagine our president wouldn't be none too pleased for so many reasons. Um, but nonetheless, here we are. But I just thought that was a, a fascinating thought today and, and how difficult it might have been, um, but how refreshing it might have been as a man for others to, to step aside. And not to say that he would have had to admit guilt, but I just wondered if that could have been a, a solution. I just I've wondered if that was considered. Um, and so for me, um, you know, hearing uh, Dr. Ford's story just brought me back uh, to my experiences, particularly in, in college, where um, I had a number of young ladies I uh, knew to varying degrees um, were raped or sexually assaulted. Um, one was a, a good friend um, who, to her credit and her courage, saw it all the way through um, in the legal system, um, in court. And uh, there was a conviction um, in that case. I'm not sure. I don't recall the, the nature of it. The person received jail time. I remember the sentence being, you know, seeming somewhat light. I think there was a good deal of probation and other things related to it. Um, but nonetheless, th there was a, a legal outcome. And I, I accompanied this person to court on that day. So, of course, having kind of lived through that as a, I guess, 18, 19 year old. And remembering that. And then later on, I was elected student government president at the end of my sophomore year and served for two years in that capacity. And there were a number of times, uh, at least two or three, where women uh, would come to my office and say, Russell, either I know in one case um, they had been sexually assaulted, I think, and in other couple cases they knew of someone or had a roommate who had been assaulted and were attempting to adjudicate the assault through the campus, the Dean of Students office at Trinity College and was feeling like they were not getting anywhere. 
and I remember my friend uh, earlier, uh, more my sophomore year, who I who I knew, um, feeling similarly that the school was not doing a good job of adjudicating the 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 uh, allegations. And of course, um, in more recent years, we've seen a number of schools take a hit for um, and, and take lawsuits. And of course, the Obama administration um, tried to uh, and put some rules in place. So that victims had a better chance at, at receiving justice in these cases, um, and 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 actually that you know the schools would have an obligation to try to get to some facts. And of course, we know every allegation is not true. And of course, what's difficult about these allegations is many of them you know often can't necessarily be proven, um, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt necessarily, right? Um, and I'm sure, you know, for those of you who want to respond to me, will, will want to give me an education on all this. And that's fine. And I'm, I'm happy to, to learn more. Um, but I just, you know, realize how difficult to some extent I understood um, the school's desire to, to not to want to look the other way. But I also knew the pain of my friends and my classmates. Um, and, and I have uh, done a little bit of reading lately and kind of realized I'm a little bit of an empath. Right? I'm kind of a mushy soft heart guy, right? I, I, uh, I care what people think probably too much. I care what people feel and, 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 and uh, I love you guys. If you're listening, I love you. And if I haven't said it to you, if y'all don't even know you, hey, I love you too. <laughs> and that's just who I am. I, I really, uh, you know, feel I'm, I'm here to lead and to serve others and, and, and that God will do the rest, right? I'm, I don't know if I do that as a, a good job every day. I hope my wife and my kids think I do, but that's really my heart's desire. Um, is to really understand and to relate to people. And I've been blessed as a communicator to be in leadership positions, I think, in part because I have that ability and that gift to, to understand, to see all sides, and then to try to build consensus. And I'm hoping that uh, this dialogue that I'm having here that you're listening to, and thank you for listening, can perhaps be uh, a piece of that. Um, and just you know, trying to really move uh, our dialogue uh, in our country forward um, and, and, you know, my voice is perhaps small in that, but maybe doing that today in this podcast and going forward can be a part of that. But really thinking about my friends and, um, and really remembering um, the emotions and the pain and, and being student government president, there were many things being at a school with 2,000 kids living on 95 acre campus. There's a lot of things that I could do <laughs> as student government president, but one of those was not did not allow me to change the system um, at the school. And I did talk to deans. There were other times I would observe certain things on campus um, that were just alarming and I would bring it up to the deans. Um, and it was hard to feel powerless to not know what to do. Of course, to not necessarily know the truth of the facts of what happened, but to know these women's stories and these women's pain and to believe them. So that's where I, I come uh, to this and um, make no bones about it. I believe Dr. Ford and I'll, I'll get to a little bit as to, to why. But I also believe it's quite possible that Justice Kavanaugh does not remember what happened. And quite frankly, his 50 some odd year self could not possibly imagine himself behaving in such a manner. Um, and of course, we all probably have things we've done where we've fallen short of what God would have us do and have us be. And we want to forget, we tend to forget it, suppress it, overlook it, and tell ourselves 
things about ourselves or we just move forward, right? Or we even have done things we didn't even realize were, were bad or offensive or hurtful or even maybe violent towards another individual or unjust or unfair. And life goes on and, and you move forward. And then as we grow as people, thank God, most of us, I hope we're all growing every day. We're doing, being better. We're loving more. We're serving more. We move forward and it's hard to really imagine um, behaving in a manner that might have been uh, described. Um, and so I think both things could perhaps be true. And uh, at Georgetown Prep, I did not attend these parties. I actually had the chance last week to talk to another African-American alum. And there's been a lot of discussion, some discussion, not a lot, around uh, Africa, with some other African-American alum that got initiated about 10 days ago or so. And, and um, they're really trying to make, uh, develop an understanding. Um, the Georgetown Prep I went to was not necessarily a place where others were celebrated, right? Anything other. Um, it was, you know, it was very homogenous. Like I said a third of my class went to like the same grade school and then another 10 or 20 went to another school. And then, you know, there were about five or 10 went to another school. And then you had international students. Um, and then you had about maybe 30 or 40 kids that were from a collection of other schools like myself, um, you know, from the area or maybe were, were uh, yeah, from the area or some of the boarding students. So you had, you know, a little bit of the mix. But it certainly wasn't a place where, where you know, anything other was celebrated. For instance, you know, Black History Month, um, I had to approach the librarian and say, hey, are you doing a Black History Month display um, or anything you know, at the library? And the librarian, whose, whose name escapes me, was a really nice lady and very helpful to me in my time at prep, um, said, no, um, we don't have anything. I said, well, I have some books, you know, my mother's books at home. Could I lend them to the library for the four weeks and put them in the display case outside the library and to which she said sure so one day I bought the books and that took time out of my lunch and came down the hall with her and we agreed to meet at that time and we worked together and we set the display up and when it was over she pulled the display down and put the books together and I came and picked them up and bought them home um, but there was that was the only presence and I think this is probably my junior year at prep so just to give you an understanding that's really um, you know, what the culture was. I'm, I'm very aware and have participated in subsequent Black History Month events where speakers like Cole and Powell came to campus. So I know there's been some change, but to what extent there's been dialogue and understanding, um, I'm not sure. And I'm, to be frank, quite doubtful that there has been. And that's been the conversation um, in my statement to my peers on our uh, chat that we had, my African-American fellow prep alum. Um, almost exclusively African-American, but certainly all black and brown alum. It said, you know, what work does prep want to do to change the culture, to do the work? See, at Trinity College, I, I did participate in the culture of alcohol and drinking and, and had a, a lot of fun, to be frank. Um, did I overdo it at times? Absolutely. Um, and, and, and um, you know, I don't think I uh, overdid it to the point where I hurt myself or hurt others. Um, and, but if I had to go back and do it again, I'd, I'd probably do it in a bit more moderation. And there were certainly some unhealthy things that I was still working through in my life. And I've had a chance to, to, to have quite literally come to Jesus moment or moments and to be more prayerful, more reflective and improve as a human. Um, and, and being president of the student government for two years was a very unique experience where you saw the best of the best of the community, but I also was aware of and exposed to some of the worst of the worst 
of, of the community. And, you know, again, being who I am, feeling um, the people's um, pain and some of my classmates um, who were people, students of color like myself, um, who really were not comfortable, not made to feel at home at a place like Trinity. It was very similar where the other was, was not celebrated very much or highlighted very much. It was, it was certainly more than, than in high school, I would say. But it was still a place where it was very much a mainstream culture um, that was really um, embedded in the institution. And, and this goes back to history of, of Trinity College, like Georgetown Prep, initially until, the, until 50 years ago. I think they're celebrating it now of co-education and, and um, you know, women becoming uh, eligible to attend co the college. And, and from there, you know, things have changed. And of course, there have been more international students and more African-American and Latino and Asian students. And of course, things begin to change at that time. But um, short of that, you have these institutions, you have these cultures um, that are white and that are privileged. And those are the schools I went to. And I know a lot of my, my white brothers who I love dearly. Um, I went to my prep 20th reunion uh, last year. I went to my uh, college, I guess it was 15. And not to say exclusively, but I know many uh, would not do, don't want to hear it. Um, but I think there's a poison um, in privilege. And I think I saw that poison. I saw that sense of entitlement in Mr. Kavanaugh's uh, final testimony. And I recognized it. So similar to how I understand the culture at prep, I understand the culture that was similar at Trinity and the roots of it. And I saw that sense of entitlement that up until that point, he had done everything right. Right. In his world, I might get in the worldview, conservative, liberal, but in his world, Montgomery County, Maryland, one of the wealthiest counties in the country, one of the wealthiest places on the face of earth, therefore, right by default. Right. Um, and, you know, being in the circles and going to institutions like Georgetown Prep, like Yale University for seven years where he was an undergrad and a law student. Um, and then going on to working in the White House and being a judge and now under the Supreme Court, um, you certainly have lived a very privileged existence where you say, hey, I've done everything I've been on. His parents were blessed enough to put him on a track. And he has done everything that society told him was acceptable. And as he said in his testimony, it was okay to drink. The age was 18, even though he wasn't 18, but the age was 18 and it was acceptable. And put the law out of it, whether the legal drinking age was one thing or another. Clearly, it was acceptable in the 80s. And I've come to understand it was acceptable in the 90s. And I don't know what's happened since then. I, again, I did not participate <laughs> at all um, in, in that uh, atmosphere in high school to drink in high school. I mean, the whole idea of Beach Week and we uh, here in Maryland uh, had a gubernatorial candidate, uh, Mr. Gansler, who kind of got in trouble for a photograph during the campaign. This is uh, in 2014, I believe it was, because there were teenagers around him drinking at this Beach Week. And this is when people go out to the eastern shore of Maryland and Delaware and rent houses at the beach. And um, parents apparently help their teenage kids get alcohol and, and drink. And Mr. Ganser got in trouble for apparently he was walking through and there was a photograph of these teenagers underage drinking around him and he's not doing anything about it. Right. But this is the culture. This is the culture. Um, and, and I think the culture is a sick one. And and it that's the most alarming um, thing to me. And I just wonder, you know, what desire um, 
is there to address it, right? Now, is, is it healthy for teenagers to consume alcohol and to be in that kind of environment? Um, and my friend, uh, again, another African-American alum of PrEP, said it's really, you know, he was there and he participated in high school. I didn't know this. I've known him, you know, since we were overlapping years at PrEP. And he said, yeah, you know, you, you kind of had, you know, the drinking was going on. The girls were there. Um, there were certain girls that had certain reputations and, <clears throat> and, and, and were around and, and the drinking was going on. And and that was kind of just, yeah, what the characterization in the media is, you know, is what it is. That's what prep guys did. Right. And that was never really my thought. I would hear about it on Monday mornings and around the locker room and kind of get a sense as to, you know, amongst my peers as to who was who and what was what. But I wasn't participating. So I might kind of hear the jokes. Probably didn't know all the punchlines. Um but but certainly was not aware to what extent what was happening um, or what might have been happening. Again, I wasn't there, so I don't, I don't know. So I just wonder, and I don't know if I'll have a chance to talk to more of my classmates in the coming weeks or months to have an understanding. And I, I wonder, you know, what they think. And again, trying to put the politics aside, um, but just wondering, you know, who God would have us to be um, in this time. Right. And, and, and what place does a school as an institution as you know certainly is a lead it cost ten thousand dollars when i went there now i looked it cost thirty seven thousand dollars for a day student my god um so it is what it is right um in our society we want to have an idea of a meritocracy and and equanimity but it's certainly an elite institution in a very wealthy part of the country and of the world what role and responsibility does it have right um, and what role and responsibility as an alum, as a Jesuit uh, medal recipient, um, you know, do I have? And of course, you think about you know, black and brown folks who, when we're at these institutions, put in so much time, as I did at Prep and at Trinity, to to so-called fight the good fight to make things better um, for students of color, for for students from other backgrounds, um, who you know these institutions were not initially founded for, right? Um, you know, and you know, prep was founded in the 1780s and Trinity in the 1820s, right? So, you know, these institutions were founded for for white males, um, you know, from, from particular backgrounds and families, right? Um, and 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 there's still roots in that, similar to the roots of our country. I saw a very interesting story that Thomas Jefferson's house now acknowledges uh, Sally Hemings and her relationship and the six kids her um, and Thomas Jefferson had together, and and that's probably not an inaccurate statement. I can't imagine that Sally Hemings was a, a, a willing uh, uh, lover or concubine um, of Thomas Jefferson, but I don't know. But certainly uh, Thomas Jefferson owned her and that, that you know, historical fact, you know, can you can probably draw a lot of conclusions from what that relationship most likely was like. So these realities, which I know are very hard to for um, many of my white brothers and sisters to to hold on to <clears throat> and to acknowledge history. I sit here on Columbus Day and he discovered America when there were, you know, how many millions of, of, of people already inhabiting these lands. It's just very fascinating to me. And, and um, but how do we move forward? And, and what is that process? And, and, you know, is there a desire to change the culture? Is there a, a desire to do better? Um, and, and, and we'll see. Um, but I just thought I had to, to come on today and just, and just talk about it. 
um, you know, me and Coach Squee. <laughs> um, I just know my, my mother always said, you know, you can't do what they do. And, and my friend's mother said that as well at prep. And so um, I think I just I knew better about going to those parties and just, you know, it wasn't for me. I wasn't interested, but somehow I just felt that uh, maybe my mother was just you know, trying to scare the heck out of me. But I think there's some truth in that. And I, it's hard for me to believe that if it was uh, instead of Brett Kavanaugh, if it was uh, let's make, you know, Juan Sotomayor as opposed to uh, Justice Sonia Sotomayor. You know, what the what the politics might have been, what the conversation, the dialogue might have been. I don't know. Um, but I, I just you know hope that um, from this we can take lessons that we can um, teach our children better, um, that we can teach our sons better. I have two daughters and I want them to uh, to understand how to protect themselves. And hopefully that as they select male friends, that there will be things and characteristics from me that they'll look for uh, when the time in their life comes to choose you know, boyfriends and, and from there, fiancés, husbands, what have you, spouses. Um, and I just wonder, you know, what do we do, those of us who are privileged? And I don't separate myself from that privilege. Like I said, I went to prep like Mr. Cavanaugh. I went to a very elite private, uh, small private college in Connecticut too, right? So I don't necessarily separate myself. And, and I'm will be one of the first to admit that perhaps privilege has in fact poisoned me at times. A sense of entitlement has in fact poisoned me at times, right? Now, of course, not nearly as publicly as perhaps it just bit Justice Kavanaugh. Um, but, but certainly, um, I hope we can take this journey um, and, and, and support um, those who tell their story and tell their truth. And I've talked a lot today about Prep and Kavanaugh, but I don't want to forget Dr. Ford in particular and the courage that she showed to tell her truth. And again, um, I believe her and I signed the petition that, that some of my fellow alums circulated. Um, I haven't checked it recently, but I was somewhat disappointed. There were only like 85, I think, or 100 signatures. <laughs> um, but also somewhat not surprised. And I think it's just very difficult in this political environment for, for many of us to, to feel like, um, you know, if you believe her, you're, ta you're taking a side on the politics of it. And my thing was what the Jesuits actually wrote a, a week ago, um, which was, um, you know, Mr. Kavanaugh, withdraw your nomination and, you know, let's get another justice. And we understand, hey, we know who the president is. We know who controls the Congress is going to be a conservative justice. So be it. That's America. The political fray, the political fright, right? And I know everybody's concerned that our, our institutions are eroding and, and certainly the Constitution is getting tested, our government's getting tested, but I don't think this is anything dramatically new, um, you know, and, 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 and we'll see. Um, you know, I, I try to take a historical perspective, I try to take a, a, a global perspective, and I try to take a godly perspective as well and try to step back and say, you know, what, do you, what does God see in this, right? Um, you know, Nothing lasts forever. And who knows what the future for this country, for our people whole is in my lifetime or my children's lifetime and, and on down. Um, but what is, you know, what is happening and what does God really want to have happen? Right. And, and then what is my little part, my little role, you know, being a husband, being a father and maybe contributing my voice so that there can be healing and there can be acknowledgement um, and there can uh be less trauma in the world 
So um, with that, thank you for listening today. Um, I did a take one last week, and this was certainly a little bit of a different take um, than last week. And I'm still certainly grappling with these issues and, and may spend more time on it in this space. Um, but in the weeks ahead, I'm definitely uh, you know, looking forward to, to sharing more of my thoughts and my perspective um, on leadership, legacy and love, uh, my journey as, a, as, a, as an entrepreneur. And then really want to get in here and, and interview some folks and tell some stories. I'm going to probably interview some of my family, mem- family members and, and have some interesting conversations. And uh, <clears throat> I just hope you guys will continue to listen and continue to find value um, in what uh, is going on here. And, um, and just keep listening um, to this space. And uh, you know, like I said, I had to get out of my own way just to report record this podcast and I just have such of a, a a complex where I want perfection <laughs> I don't have all the studio and the equipment I want um, I think like I have enough hours in the day sometimes to do everything I want to get done or sometimes just feel like it may be pointless to even try to do it but I'm doing it and I'm doing this if nothing else for my my girls for Natalie and for Paige um, to leave them a legacy. So I've just decided to make them my motivation for telling my story and sharing a little bit of me. And also I want to make you my motivation, my listeners, um, even if it's only two of y'all, <laughs> so be it, I'll take it. Um, and people who hopefully will eventually listen to this podcast because their friend was interviewed, um, and had someone had a chance to tell their story and then share it. Um, we know that voice mediums are so uh, powerful now. You got Alexa and all of these things and podcasts and radio and internet streaming. and um, So I'm just contributing my voice to the fray. And uh, as you can tell, I've been a student. I was a student leader and I've been a leader. Um, I've been blessed to be sought out to mentor and to lead um, in various ways in various organizations, formally and informally. <clears throat> and so I'm just going to contribute my voice. Um, and I, again, I appreciate you guys listening you know feel free to connect with me on my facebook page um, on twitter on instagram on linkedin and um, russellfugit.com a lot more to come i'm going to finally um you know print my book as opposed to giving it away but you can still download it for free as an ebook it's a devotional patience perseverance and prayer a 30-day devotional for for entrepreneurs i hope that will bless you um, get it now because I'm going to be charging you like in another month. <laughs> so, hey, thank you for listening. This is Russell Fugit, episode zero, uh, Georgetown Prep, me, Coach Squee. <laughs> oh, man. We're praying for our country. We're praying for our leaders. We have an election coming up. I know everybody wants unity, and sometimes people want to hide behind unity instead of pushing for justice and for change, but we gotta love each other first. And I hope we can find a way to do that in spite of our differences. Um, perhaps we can push through to lasting change where, where there can uh, be an environment in communities in this country where children are fed and educated and have health care, and uh, people have access to clean water and air and, and opportunity and employment. Um, and healthy environments and healthy schools and healthy people <clears throat> who aren't abusive, who are whole and made to feel whole and made to feel there's a place for them, no matter their background, their affiliation, their gender, their sexual orientation. Right. My pastor, bless him. 
Jimmy Rollins, I-5 City. Um, we're going to love beyond our preferences. And that's the challenge. That's truly the challenge. If you can't tell by now, for 35 minutes, um, you know, uh, the Lord, the Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And I'm grateful um, that he abides with me every day because I know I need it. <laughs> and uh, I know our country needs it. And, um, and I just thank you for listening. So bear with us. We're going to come back within two weeks with another episode. This is the Russell Fugit Show, RussellFugit.com. God bless you. Take care of yourself. Hug somebody today. Hug a few bodies today. Uh, hug yourself. You're special. You're fearful.